One of the things that happens at worship, that w as we come together, we, uh, and we've missed this by being online, and, and I'm grateful for online, and it ministers to so many people who want to be a part, but for various reasons can't be. But there's something that, uh, that happens within us spiritually, individually, and also communally, when we come together, we are encouraged and reminded of, of our calling, of why we are here. Every person, and frankly, every organization, and I think today I'll, I'll blend those two, ask three questions. Who am I? Why am I here? And where am I going? And we do this especially at uh, significant pivot points in our life, Maybe at 13 years old, maybe at 17, 21, 30, 50, 70. Who am I? Why am I here? And where am I going? Let's, let's jump in today. Uh, I know you're moving through the life of Jesus. And today we're going to see not his first sermon, because the scripture tells us that he had been going into the synagogues and doing this, but it's his first recorded sermon. And it was on cassette. Uh, but it was, that's uh, what you think of when you think of recorded sermon, right? but this was his first recorded sermon, and Jesus returned to Galilee. Now, I'm, we, we're only putting a section of this up from the screen, in case you're wondering. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him had spread through the whole countryside. So, in other words, he had grown up, he'd been a young man, uh, right around 30, uh, he began his ministry, and this is uh, this is early. This is one of the first times that we've actually understood and, and had something written down of what he said. He was teaching in the synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. Now understand, this is something from a couple of thousand years, or thousand years prior to Christ. But, uh, you know, how the old covenant scriptures and the life of Jesus and the new covenant scriptures all merge into not so much past, present, and future as just a current reality. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is a, it's a powerful scripture. It's a powerful visual image of Jesus saying, I'm here. And as Isaiah predicted, I am here with a specific mission. Jesus knew who he was. He knew why he was here, and he knew where he was going. Uh, at our Christian City uh, staff planning day this last Monday, our CEO, and I don't know uh, 
maybe some of you have been able to meet Keith Horton, but he is the leader for the moment, the leader for our time and, uh, at Christian City. He understands who we are. He understands our core, uh, our vision, and he is forward-thinking without releasing you know, the, the, uh, the, the passion and promise of the past. But he began the retreat by saying uh, to our staff, Jesus is our why. Because you have to understand your purpose before you can start doing all these plannings and strategic visioning and all of that. Why are we here? We're not just a social agency. We're not just a helping organization. We are here because Jesus called us to love our neighbors, and we're doing that in a practical way. We're doing that as an extension of the church. The church can't, this church, local churches, don't always have the capacity or the resources or the, or the connections around metropolitan Atlanta to help out with someone needing food, someone needing, needing a home, someone needing, what are we going to do with these children? What, what's going to happen with my mom? How do we take care of it? The local church can't always do that, but because we pool our funds and fund something like Christian City, then we function as an extension of you. So Keith started our meeting by saying, Jesus is our why. And, and I was so grateful for that. I was talking with our chaplain afterwards. And, uh, you know, there's just a humility to that, that we're not trying to be something else than what we were called to be. But we want to be all that we were called to be. So we're going to look at three circles. The first circle is the life on mission. And Jesus is guiding us to our why? So Mark uh, 12 gives us this, the words of the Lord. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. We know this, but sometimes we're still like the religious scholar who came to Jesus. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Right? So understand the spirit of the question, because that frames the, the uh, impact of what we're going to learn. He stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I love Jesus. I love Jesus. You, we probably all interpret the Lord through our own lens. Uh, I, I'm, so I have the spiritual gift of sarcasm, and um, y'all may not have seen that in the gifts, love, patience, irony, self-control, uh, smart aleck. But um, I love Jesus because he would play along with them, you know. Uh, you know, they were like, well, should we pay taxes? And he goes, I don't know. Whose picture's on the coin? Caesar. Oh, well, yeah, I guess you pay Caesar. I mean, <laughs> you know, he just turned, turns the tables around on them. Um, or he says, go down to the lake, and there's a fish with a coin in their mouth, you know, whatever. Uh, but Jesus says, uh, well, I don't know. What's written in the law? How do you read it? See, this guy's trying to test Jesus, and then Jesus is like, uh, how do we interpret eternal life? I don't know. You tell me. You're the religious scholar. And he said, well, you love the Lord your God with all your heart. You know, he, he, he quoted from Deuteronomy. He said, Jesus said, You've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. 
and uh, but the scripture says, but wanting to justify himself, okay? Again, he stood up to test Jesus, and then he's saying, but wanting to justify himself, he's asked this question, and everybody's around, and Jesus sort of turns the tables on him and says, well, I don't know, what's the scripture say? Well, do that. Do what the scripture says. In other words, Jesus isn't giving him the opportunity to, to trick him, you know, to put Jesus in a bind. So, the, so this religious scholar keeps pushing, in order to justify himself, says, well, well who's my neighbor? So, uh, the, the reason he would have asked that in, in that day, and especially within the context of the Jewish system, a neighbor would have been limited, be a part of a limited circle, would have been defined by someone that's part of us. That, that's, what, that's what a neighbor would have meant. And so Jesus told this story. Uh, he said, well, who's my neighbor? Jesus said, okay, well, let me tell you this. A man was going down from Jerusalem and uh, to Jericho where he was attacked by robbers. And they stripped him and beat him and left him half dead. And a priest came by, and uh, when he saw the man, kind of went around 285, you know, and said, I don't want to deal with this. Then a Levite, and I kind of understand he's sort of a sort of a lower level sort of sort of priest, like a like a deacon. <laughs> Just kidding. You know that joke, don't you? Like, what's the preacher get paid? You know, uh, yeah, he gets paid to preach. What about the deacon? No, he's he's good for nothing. But uh, anyway, um, then a Samaritan came by. He went to him. It, it says. He saw him, saw him, took pity on him, went to him, and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put, his, put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Uh, he gave the innkeeper some money and then said, I will reimburse you for whatever else uh, other expense you have. So then Jesus wraps up this story and says, which of the three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers. And the expert in the law said, well, the man who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. Ouch. We need to analyze the story and to understand that the Samaritan and the Jew were enemies. Each group despised the other. The listeners would have expected, and when a story started being told like this, the listeners would have expected that the Jewish fella was going to be the hero of the story. It was quite a twist for the Samaritan, the hated enemy, to be the hero of this story. Now, I want to, I love you. I respect you. I just want to play a little little quiz with you, and you, please don't raise your hand or throw anything or respond just internally, you know. But I just want to do this group, and you just do your own blood pressure check as I just kind of walk through this group, okay? So I'm going to say homeless, MAGA, 
Pride Parade, Muslim, immigrant, Native American, athletes who kneel, CNN, Illuminati. Oh, okay, sorry, I had to just throw that one in there. Um, sorry, I thought that'd get a better laugh. Um, in our country, we, we need to be realistic that there are things that come on the news that stir up within us things that you could label because of their intensity hate. Do you talk to the TV? My dad used to talk to the TV, and I'd walk through going, you know he's not going to answer, right? And I'm now, I talk to the TV. Well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever, and I'm looking to my wife so that she'll, you know, amen it, and she's like, what? Um, but it's not just in our country, around the world. You have Russians and Ukrainians, you have China and Taiwan, you have North Koreans and South Koreans. Just this week, South Korean president said, we're probably going to have to look at creating nuclear weapons to defend ourselves. And, be and because the United States has been pretty limited on defending other countries, everybody else is starting to freak out like, hey, we better step up and take care of ourselves because, anyway. And many years later, Jews and Arabs. So let's, let's, let's walk through this because I think it has implications for us. We don't want this to just be a disconnected story or one more thing. Oh gosh, how many sermons have I heard? How many lessons have I heard? You're right. How many lessons have we heard and yet we still hold people, certain groups of people in contempt? I was part of a church you might have heard of that started duking it out. And it got very ugly. And at one time, when I was youth minister there, it was the largest Christian church in the South. But it started to get ugly. And there was a Sunday school class of, and I'm just gonna tell you, older folks, and it was, there was 100 people in that class, but man, they were keeping it going. They were lighting up the phones and cornering people in the hallways and campaigns, and it got ugly. And so one night, I preached, and I calculated a typical, and I didn't name that class, but I calculated how many Wednesday nights, how many Wednesday night lessons, how many Sunday school classes, missing all of the big days, 4th of July, you know, uh, Memorial Day, Labor Day, uh, uh, Thanksgiving, uh, the two Sundays, Christmas and New Year's, right? So just taking out those 14 Sundays that most people miss, I calculated how many Sunday school lessons that typical 65-year-old had heard, how many Wednesday night classes, how many seminars, how many retreats, how many sermons they had come through and still were operating with backbiting and, and attacking other people and, and going around behind the leadership's back. And I, I said it, I, you know, it's some kind of 14,000, you know, Sunday school, seriously. So let's understand that this is not just one more lesson and Jesus isn't telling one more story. This has something for us. First, the, what are we gonna learn from this? First, the Samaritan saw the hurting person. 
He acknowledged the reality. He didn't pretend not to see. And the, the teaching we have there is once you know, you must go. We cannot pretend that we are not surrounded by need. The church that is alive and has a future does not look inward and spend all their board meetings and complaining to the preacher about you're not taking care of me. The church that has a future is looking outside. They're less worried about how long the sermon went, come on, uh, and, and more concerned with what are the needs in the community, what has God called. So we've got to see. In Christian City, we see it every day, awesome young people who come out of incredibly terrible situations. I can't even describe to you some of the things that we've seen. One girl said to us, this is the first place I've ever heard the words, I love you. What if we began, and I, I come to y'all respectfully, and don't quit giving to Christian City, uh, but I ask you, what if we began to see the other person as Christ sees them? What if you didn't see your neighbor as liberal or conservative, but a person made in the image of God, maybe far from God, in need of mercy and compassion, right here, just like you? The person who is in trouble, the person for whom life has dealt a bad hand, the person who doesn't look like you, the person uh, who is part of a group which you have despised in the past, this is who the Samaritan was. I see these RVs with Good Samaritan on the back, and I think it means we'll pull over and help you with your flat tire, and that's good, Good Samaritan, but that we've, we've diminished the... the the star of this story down to somebody who helps you, uh, you know, with a flat tire. This is about crossing the lines, taking the, realizing the potential of rebuke from your group because you've stepped in to help someone from another group. So he saw, the next thing he did was he stopped. He got off his donkey. Now, in the King James, they use a different word for donkey. And it may be that it's time for us to get off our donkey and help people. The third thing he did, Andrew's like, never invite Dan back again. <laughs> third thing he did, so he saw him, he got off his donkey. Third thing he did was he went to him. It's easy, sort of, to give money. But going and connecting takes this to a different level. I was at a conference recently. Corey, if you'll just show these. I was at a conference recently, and just some really good quotes. When the world is scary, love anyway. Sit with those who threaten you. Stop talking and take a step toward those who scare you. Y'all, I, I feel like I can say this to friends. Nobody cares about your opinion on Facebook, Twitter. Nobody cares. Nobody reads your thing about, well, I'll tell you what's wrong with this world. Nobody reads that and goes, oh, my gosh, you're right. I'm going to change my whole way of thinking. The only way it changes is to go. I'm part of a group of pastors, black, Hispanic, Asian, Caucasian, and we meet together for lunch. And what we discover there is we're the same. 
We're the same. Some of these guys are Norcross, Marietta, Kennesaw, Southfield. We're the same. We worry about our kids. We worry about crime. We, we worry about eggs going up in price. None of us understand crypto. I mean, we're all, we're, we figure out that we're, we're the same. But one of, one of the quotes there was, many of us have spent our whole life avoiding people Jesus is pursuing. Come on. Anybody out there with me? Spent our whole life avoiding people that Jesus is pursuing. Okay, here's the fourth. He paid his own money. He sacrificed. Um, I know we're slim on time, but let, let me just let me do this quote. I, I, I keep trying to I kept trying to throw it out this morning, and it just kept coming back. I think it's very powerful. We're talking about the early days of Christianity. The Roman Emperor Julian. He's, this is the fourth century. He writes. He, he he regretted the progress of Christianity because it pulled people away from the Roman gods. One of the one of the ways that they leveraged the gods was that the politician would use the gods to keep control of the people. And so he was lamenting, and here's what he says, the Christian faith has been specially advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers and through their care for the burial of the dead. It is a scandal that there is not a single Jew who is a beggar and that the godless Galileans care not only for their own poor, but for ours as well, while those who belong to us look in vain for the help that we should render them. I know it's hard when somebody's reading something to you, and I've got a little bit of it, but the point is, in 911, 9-11, when the buildings were coming down in New York, Everybody was doing what they do instinctively, running away from the problem. The buildings were crashing, fires, smoke, but there were groups that ran in. While everybody else was running out, there were groups that were running in. The firemen, the EMTs, the police. In the early days of Christianity, it, there was great sickness, plagues, Christians went in. These folks' neighbors left them. But Christians who didn't even belong to this group went in. And that is how Christianity multiplied exponentially, not by our words, but by what Jesus said would happen. They will know you are Christians by your love. Now, sometimes we think that love is gather in this building, and I'm not spanking you. I'm just talking about the church. Of course, it's not us, but all those other churches need to hear this. Well, then go preach to them, Dan. Um, sometimes we think love is we take care of each other. When I, when I go to a church and they say, oh, we're just like family. We just take care of each other. It's always a red flag to me. And, and I know this is offensive, but it's always a red flag to me that they're just taking care of each other. Our family, Jesus' is teaching, is everyone. Yes, there's the family of faith, but there's also, they're all our brothers and sisters. Every single person made in the image of God. 
I saw a little thing out there on your bulletin board. You go to the jails? Go to the prison? Go to the prison? That's it. They're going to know. Man, when I see that on your bulletin board, okay, this church is alive and not just, well, it was too hot, it was too cold. I hope everybody has their own individual thermostat in heaven. Otherwise, it, it will be hell because at Mount Carmel, oh, did I say that? Anyway, at my church, we finally put locks on the thermostats and they would break them off. They would get screwdrivers in the Sunday school class. By gosh, we're going to control our own heat, you know. Um, okay. Wow. Um, the second circle, <laughs> and we're wrapping up, I promise, is church on mission. Who are we? Why are we here? Where are we going? The, you know, we can never hear this teaching enough to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you. We're making disciples, not just inviting disciples. We're not just inviting people from other churches, but building the kingdom is our goal. The goal of Hartsfield Airport is not to be a destination, although sometimes you feel like I've been here for three days, but... Its purpose is to get you to your destination. The goal of the church, and listen, this is not the destination. This is not the end goal. This is where we come to be trained and then dispersed. This is where we come to get fired up, to get, to get fueled up, and then go back out to spend ourselves on behalf of other people. So we come here, it blesses us, it trains us, it encourages us, but this is not the end goal. And, and uh, let, me, let me just say, and Andrew didn't prime me on any of this, I promise, because I don't know. But I'm just saying, when, when this is not the end goal, then everything doesn't have to meet my expectations here. This is more like a base camp. This is more like training camp. This is a place where, where we get fired up, we get discipled, we get trained, and then we're deployed to our neighborhoods, our places of work, our spheres of influence. And this is the place, out there is where we are the Good Samaritan. We don't come here to practice our faith. We come here to learn about our faith and to be motivated to go practice our faith in our neighborhood, standing at the mailbox, in our clubs, in our teams, on the golf course. We go to fulfill the calling of Jesus on our life. Our third circle is, collaboration, partnering with other ministries. So Jesus, right before he left planet Earth, said that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity, that the world may know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. In other words, when the world sees us working together and not tearing each other apart, they will see a picture of, of Christ. And so you're partnering with Christian City through your support and, and even hands-on tomorrow for MLK Day, we're doing a day of service. So you're welcome to come on over. We've got a bunch of groups. I think we've got 70 or 80 people coming, going to be all over campus doing stuff. You're welcome to come. But your partnership with us um, helps us with a sixth grade girl that the Department of Family and Children's Services removed from the home. 
an eight-year-old boy who came to us in foster care with all his belongings in a trash bag. And, and let me tell you something. That is real. I've seen it. They come with the ba- everything they own in that bag, and they've maybe been to three or four foster homes. They come to us. We've got tables in the back today, and you can pick up some brochures and see what's, see what's going on. But what today's teaching means for this church is to serve. Serve here. Serve each other in the family of God. Serve within this uh, church family. There's things that need to happen. Uh, uh, We've got folks today running the slides, running sound. There's just things that it takes to make it happen. Come come join the choir. That that was wonderful today. I appreciate that and some some songs that that blessed me. Um, We got to go to, my wife and I and my kids got to go to Scotland a few years ago, and I saw this. William Wallace, there was a quote up on a wall, and I wrote it down, all men die, but not all men live. You know, yeah, I think if I was on some talk show and they said, what's your motto? I'm like, I don't know, I don't have a motto. I like Romans 8, and I like, you know, but that's a great motto. All men die, but not all men live. I want to live. I want to spend my life in something bigger than me. Something that's not just about my wants and my desires and my aches and pains. I saw this cartoon the other day. It was basically a snowman sitting on a bench, but underneath it, it said, my doctor said to put ice on everything that hurts. (laughs) I was like, man, yeah, I feel you, dude. There are days where I feel that. You know what? Honestly, and, and I'm done, Andrew, whatever. But, but I mean, I, I just want to say, you know what? It's really easy to wake up in the morning and go and to start the day with my shoulder hurts, my knee hurts. You know, I'm still ticked off about something that somebody said yesterday. It is just really easy to make everything about me. It is at the core of our rebellion against God self-centeredness. It is at the root of everything that pulls us away from what God calls us to as our highest calling, to not spend all of our energy on ourselves, but to constantly be aware like the Good Samaritan. He saw the people around him. You know, these other guys are like, I'm busy. I don't have time for this. But he saw, and he stopped, and he got off his donkey, and he went over, and he cared for the person. And they even spent his own money so that somebody was, who was from the group that he was supposed to hate would not only survive, but thrive. We have a way through this church and through your giving and through other ministries to fulfill this calling. May it be so.